A few weeks ago, as I was sitting in a darkened theater enjoying my pre-show entertainment, I was subjected to something I hadn't seen before. I go to the theater quite often, so I tend to see the same trailers over and over, and I have the commercials and theater-specific announcements memorized pretty much word for word. So when I see something new start playing on the big screen, I'll at least get mildly interested. Now, on this day, this new bit of video played in the spot after what I assumed was the end of the trailers and before the theater's final plea for me to buy a Coke and some popcorn. It was a spot usually reserved for the no talking or texting during the movie videos, so when I saw some generically attractive young people messing with their smartphones on the screen, I wasn't surprised. I've gotten used to the movie parody style commercials and theater announcements like the Geico ad featuring kids running around like cliches out of a horror movie or the anthropomorphic M&Ms trying to defuse a bomb, and what I saw in the theater that day looked like one of those types of ads. The video started with some economical looking CGI of a cell phone as a deep voice talked about how attached we've become to our phones. We're on them constantly, and there's an app for everything, but what if one of those apps could tell us the exact moment we would die? I was then exposed to some clips of what I quickly came to feel was a parody of a generic teen horror movie in the vein of something along the lines of Final Destination crossed with The Ring. The tone was overly dramatic and slightly campy, the sets were bright and clean and devoid of much creativity, and the plot summary told through this mock trailer hit all the expected beats. Someone downloads an app that won't shut off, they can't get rid of the app, and a spooky scary ghost thing follows them around like a bad habit. Surely this was the theater's creative way of getting everyone's attention and telling them it was time to turn off their phones. But when the video ended, I did not see a friendly reminder that cell phones and movie theaters don't mix. Instead, I was just given a title. Countdown. So... Wow, I thought, that was way better than seeing those M&Ms talk to the audience for the thousandth time. And at this point, I was 100% convinced that the movie trailer I had just seen was fake, and I had just witnessed a clever new way of getting people to turn off their phones. I mean, a movie like that would be terrible, but for a fake trailer it wasn't bad. I was slightly confused since there was no order to be silent during the upcoming movie, but I figured I would get more information if I went to the website plastered on the screen underneath the title. However, when I did go to the site after leaving the theater, I was met with a bare-bones website proclaiming that Countdown was, in fact, a real movie. After all, the URL for the site is countdown.movie, so it must be real, right? I still wasn't buying it. Even after sitting through a longer version of the trailer I'd seen in the theater, I still wasn't convinced. There was an option on the site to download the Countdown app on your phone, so that must be it. It must be one of those apps where you download it, then you turn your phone off during the movie, and you'll get a surprise or whatever after the movie's over. With the insinuation that the surprise might be death, it would be a fun way to get people spooked during the Halloween season while getting them to shut up during the movie. That had to be it, because there's no way the cliched and super bland vanilla trailer I'd seen was for an actual theatrical release, right? Well, as I sit here, I'm about to head off to the theater, and I'm gonna find out. I'm still not convinced that Countdown is a real movie, but I'm willing to spend a few dollars and a couple hours of my time to see if this is all some elaborate ad campaign. And when I get back, I'll tell you all about it as I discuss Countdown here in The Last Theater.
welcome back, and of course, welcome to The Last Theater. My name is Chris, and I have recently returned from my local theater, but before I get into what I've just experienced, I would like to remind everyone that if you like what you hear on this episode, please head over to cnjradio.com for more stuff just like this. Along with my CNJ Radio partner and friend, Joey, we've recently wrapped up our second horror franchise retrospective, this time covering the entirety of the Halloween movie series in 12 episodes. So you can listen to all of those and much more on cnjradio.com, and we're also on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, so just search for The Last Theater, or check out all the links and all the ways to listen over on our site. But tonight is about Countdown. So, the big question remains, is Countdown a real movie? My answer is, yeah, I suppose it is. Although the final shots of the movie did leave some doubt in my mind about how real it really is. But what I did see was a by-the-numbers teen horror movie with just enough plot to fill up about an hour and a half of screen time. Even though I guess I was wrong about it being an elaborate way to get me to turn off my phone, most of the rest of my assessment from the trailer was spot on. The plot was a generic mashup of things like Final Destination and The Ring, the story wasn't terribly original, and overall the movie was completely forgettable. It wasn't the worst thing I've seen in the theater, and I did find a half smirk trying to creep onto my face once or twice, but it wasn't something I would recommend. Why? Well, allow me to explain. But before I get into the details, I would just like to say that the first part of this episode will be a non-spoiler review of Countdown. I'll give you enough plot details to set the movie up, mostly stuff from the first few minutes of the movie, but I won't go into any of the big twists and turns. And I'll even spoil fewer of the jump scares than the trailer did. At some point I will give a spoiler warning, and from that point on I'll be talking freely about the movie and any and all plot points. So, here we go. Countdown was released in theaters in the United States on October 25th, 2019, just in time for Halloween. October felt kind of light on mainstream, wide-release horror movies this year, so I imagine Countdown was relying on scarcity of options to fill its seats. Apparently that strategy worked well enough, because I did read that Countdown exceeded expectations at the box office, at least in its opening weekend, but I saw it in its second weekend, and it already looked like it was about to get pushed out of my theater. So, who knows if this will be considered a success by its already modest standards. Justin Deck wrote and directed Countdown, his first feature-length theatrical project in both of those roles. I think he did a fine job, it was definitely a movie by most standards, but as I watched I couldn't help thinking that it felt like an imitation of a lot of other movies, or at least an assemblage of common movie parts chopped up and mashed together into a movie loaf of some sort. Characters did things you would expect from a tame horror movie like this, but their actions and the situations they found themselves in felt less like they logically served an original story, and more like the screenwriter was just checking off boxes on his teen horror checklist. Something's in the house, so someone hides under a bed. Check. A guy and a girl who just met share multiple scenes together, so of course they need to kiss. The supporting characters are eccentric and funny-ish, and know exactly what needs to be done to move the plot along. Check. Like, it wasn't necessarily bad writing, but it was all very convenient, and that ultimately made the movie feel kind of hollow. Countdown starts off with an opening scene that sets the tone and introduces the mechanics of the deadly app. We see a random gathering of young people at a party. Some of the partygoers are playing a drinking game, but one of the players is distracted by her phone. 
After some very clear exposition, everyone at the table except for one person downloads the countdown app. The app is essentially just a clock that counts down from a seemingly arbitrary number ranging from many years to just a few seconds. The app is supposed to predict the exact moment you will die, and of course the young party years find it to be great fun. Except for Courtney. Courtney would rather not tempt fate, but after some light peer pressure, she downloads the countdown app as well. Surprise, she only has hours left to live. The whole opening scene plays out in a similar way to the openings of The Ring or Scream or a whole bunch of other movies. Courtney gets increasingly paranoid and tries to avoid some obvious dangers such as her drunk driving boyfriend, but her fate is inescapable. I won't spoil how Courtney meets her fate, but if you remember what happened to the young ladies in the first scenes of The Ring and Scream, then it's no surprise that Courtney doesn't make it past the first act of Countdown. In fact, no one in these opening scenes makes it past the first act. There's a small connection to the lead character in the movie, a young nurse named Quinn, but beyond passing on some information and a phone, the characters in the opening are just there to explain the countdown app, set up the idea of fate or whatever, and give one or two jump scares. It's pretty standard stuff. The main bulk of the movie focuses on Quinn and her struggles trying to find out how to change her fate. She downloads the app for no real reason other than curiosity and, of course, plot purposes, and when she finds out that she has about three days to live, she starts to naturally freak out. Her life starts to crash down around her as problems with her family and her job are exacerbated by her increasingly intense fear of dying, but she finds hope and a bit of solace in Matt. Matt has about the same amount of time left to live as Quinn, so together they search for any possible way to avoid death. Quinn and Matt both start to see things, maybe ghosts, maybe something else entirely, but those sightings serve as a basis for the ongoing horror, i.e. jump scares, throughout the movie. And I know I've already referenced The Ring a few times, but I think it's entirely appropriate. The plot of Countdown plays out a lot like The Ring. Quinn and Matt go from location to location, searching for a way to stop what they think must be coming for them. Certain people they meet along the way have bits of information that lead them ever closing to uncovering what's going on and why it's happening. So basically it's kind of a detective, investigative kind of movie with some supernatural stuff happening on the outskirts and sort of coming in every once in a while to the main characters. There's even a false finish where they think they've solved everything, just like in The Ring, but given the runtime of the movie and where this false finish occurs, it was clear to me while watching that nothing was solved. Plus, I'd seen a jump scare in the trailer that I hadn't seen yet in the movie, so that was kind of a spoiler. Quinn and Matt's investigation is interesting enough, but like I said earlier, it was also all very convenient. Within the few days they have to live, they manage to find two people who have the exact information they need to fight back against what is chasing them. I thought the background information given to them about what the app was actually doing was kind of fun, but for them to get that information almost immediately wasn't a very inspired piece of writing. It served the plot though, so I guess that's fine. And that's what I really have to say about most of what happened in Countdown. It was fine. Not great, not even that good, but fine. It mostly made sense, though there were more than a few times where you just had to let the movie kind of take you along to the next scene without thinking about it too much. I wouldn't recommend going to the theater to see Countdown, but whenever it inevitably starts streaming on whatever service you subscribe to, maybe check it out if you're reaching the bottom of your queue. Or don't. I don't think you'll regret skipping this one, 
there are many, many better movies of a similar vein out there to watch. Okay, I think that's about enough for the non-spoiler review, so from this point on, I will be talking about spoilers. This is your fair warning to pause the episode and come back later if you don't want to find out what's behind the app and how the movie ends. I'll be right back after this brief intermission. Our phones have become essential. Apps keep track of our schedules, our fitness, our love lives. But what if an app could tell you how long? I got 63 years. 57 years. Before you die, would you want to know? Welcome back once again. So, here's what's really happening in Countdown. The app in the movie is a modern take on an ancient story told by the exposition priest in the movie. When Quinn and Matt think something supernatural is happening, they are referred to a priest named John. Father John is young and kooky and wacky, and he's really into demons and stuff. When Quinn and Matt tell Father John about the app, he instantly remembers an old story in one of his tomes about a gypsy who told a man the exact time he would die, but by using that knowledge to cheat death, the man was tormented by a demon and killed anyway. The picture in the book of the gypsy has her holding out this scroll with numbers lined up in the exact same way as they appear in the countdown app. So the app is just a modern version of that ancient story. I think that part is kind of interesting and fun. I like movies about demons and things and I appreciate the effort taken to modernize an ancient curse. I also liked how when Quinn and Matt get someone to hack the app, they discover that the code is written with a bunch of Latin phrases mixed in. It kind of reminded me of the episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, where they scan some old books into the library's computers, and the act of scanning the words was like reading them, so they unwittingly unleashed a demon. It's also kind of like in Evil Dead, where playing the tape recording of the words from the Necronomicon unleashed that demonic force. In this case, it was the act of accepting the terms and conditions of the app, even without reading them, that sealed people's fates. Was that a bit of social commentary? Yeah, of course it was. There was more than a little social commentary in Countdown. In this case, it was a not-so-subtle reminder that you could be giving away your life, or at least some of your rights, whenever you agree to something online without reading the terms and conditions. It was kind of silly when Quinn and Matt finally found a way to read the terms. It basically said that if you try to cheat fate, you're gonna get got anyway, but it will be way worse than before. There was also the obvious and kind of overdone commentary about spending too much time on our phones. Phones are taking over our lives, but in Countdown, they might actually be taking our lives. This kind of commentary is nothing new, and really, I don't know how relevant or scary it is. Sure, lots of people spend lots of time on their phones, but is that really a big deal anymore? It's kind of just a way of life at this point. I think themes like this would have worked better like a decade ago. Even some of the phrasing in the character's dialogue when talking about smartphones felt super dated. I'd have to see it again to be completely sure, but I won't be seeing it again. But if I were, I do feel like someone said something along the lines of there's an app for that. And I'm pretty sure that's in the trailer too. And that's a catchphrase I haven't heard in a long time. Why? Because it's a phrase that was coined back around 2009. If this movie had come out back then, maybe it would have had a bigger impact. Countdown absolutely fits into a fear of technology category of horror, but those kind of movies tend to work better when the technology is at least somewhat new and mysterious. 
And again, I've referenced The Ring a lot throughout this assessment, but if you look back at the Japanese horror movies that inspired remakes like The Ring, you'll find a lot of these fear of technology movies. Cairo, the movie that inspired the American remake titled Pulse, was released in 2001. That had to do with fear of the internet. The original One Missed Call, also known as Chakushin Ari in Japan, was released in 2003, and that had to do with fear based around cell phones. You can even look at something like Perfect Blue, one of my favorite movies of all time. That was screened for the first time in 1997, and that also involved fear based, at least in part, around usage of the internet. The point I'm trying to make is that all of these movies and many, many others were more effective in part because they used people's inevitable fear of the unknown to build a properly tense and frightening story. I mean, yeah, the movies I referenced were all made by fabulous directors as well, but the point still stands. The proliferation of these types of stories worked so well and captivated audiences across the world because they were timely. The American remakes of some of those Japanese horror movies didn't fare so well, and I would argue that a large part of their failures was due to the fact that they were released way later when the technologies involved weren't as mysterious anymore. The Ring is a little different though. The Ring, the American remake as well as Ringu, the Japanese original, used a VHS tape as the impetus for the horror that we saw. VHS was not at all new at the time that either of those movies came out. Instead, VHS was fading out at the time of the original and was all but dead by the time of the remake. It was an antiquated technology, so it could be seen as scary again. So, my theory is that there is definitely a window for when these technology-based horror movies should and shouldn't come out. The potential for horror is there within the first five or so years of its widespread use, and then again when the technology is antiquated. Countdown, unfortunately, falls into that middle time span where it's just not very scary or original. That's not to say technology-based horror movies can't be good when it falls into the horror-free time zone, the filmmakers just have to try a whole lot harder. The first Unfriended movie was pretty good because it had a unique approach and the story was well done. The second Unfriended had neither of those things, and the video chat aesthetic wasn't scary on its own. Another similar type of movie, Friend Request, failed to be very scary because it was a below-average take that tried too hard to use technology as a crutch for making itself relevant. Countdown kind of felt the same way. I went on a bit of a tangent there to say that Countdown is below average, but I really do think there's something to the timing of movies like these. If you look back at horror over time, many influential movies tackled subjects that were relevant and relatively unknown, or at least underexplored. I've talked about that some on previous episodes of The Last Theater, so I won't really go into it much more here, but I will give Countdown credit for making me think about why some of these phone and internet-based movies work better than others. The last thing I really want to talk about is the ending of the movie. As I said, most of the rest of the movie I haven't talked about is very by the numbers. Quinn and Matt get someone to hack the app, they add some time to their countdowns, but for some unexplained reason, that doesn't work. They have to find another way, so the exposition priest tells them that if someone beats their clock by living past their time or dying before their time, then the curse will be broken. I mean, sure, that works as well as anything else, I guess. They try some religion magic with this salt and paint mixture on the floor with a six-sided star surrounded by a circle, and that seemed like it should have worked, but Matt was dumb and he left the circle and got himself killed. 
That brought Quinn and her sister, who was also now cursed, out of the circle, and they had to go to the hospital because Quinn's sister was hurt. And then that leads us to the finale. In the hospital, Quinn gets an idea of how to stop the demon. She's going to murder one of the doctors who also downloaded the app, thereby killing him before his fate and breaking the curse. The doctor had attempted to force himself on Quinn near the beginning of the movie, and Quinn finds out near the end that he's done the same thing to at least one other nurse. That conveniently cleared Quinn's conscience of what she was about to do, so she leads the doctor to a conveniently abandoned section of the hospital, conveniently located just a few doors down the hallway from where we've seen Quinn working. Quinn attempts to beat the doctor into submission with a crowbar before injecting him with a lethal dose of morphine. The demon interferes though and Quinn ultimately decides to kill herself before her time so she can at least save her sister. Quinn injects herself and dies with just two seconds left on her sister's clock. Quinn took some precautions though. She had on her another injection with instructions written on her arm for her sister. Her sister injects the life juice and Quinn comes back to life. This raised a few questions for me and brought up my biggest gripe with the movie. So first, my question. What does it mean to be dead in a way that will satisfy the demon? I would assume at the very least the heart would stop. But if that's the case, would an injection in the arm almost immediately bring a person back to life? How would an injection work if there was no blood flow? I'm certainly no doctor, but that was something that bugged me while watching the movie. It wasn't, I guess, a deal breaker for me, but it did make me think about it, which is a little bit of a problem. What was closer to a deal breaker for me was how the aspect of time was handled in the final few scenes. Most of the tension in the movie is based on running out of time. When there's a lot of time left on the clock, it doesn't matter so much, but as hours become minutes, it should naturally make the movie more and more tense. However, the flow of time in the big finale was a big issue for me. And it's not like I expected the movie to play out in real time, but when you make time an important part of a scene, it should at least be pretty close. Quinn formulated her plan with little more than 10 minutes left on her and her sister's clocks. That meant that she had to get a lot done before her attempted murder could come to fruition. First, she had to go get morphine, the life juice, and two syringes while not on duty at the hospital. Then she had to write on her arm her life-saving escape plan, never mind that her initial plan was not to kill herself. I guess she could have just thought a couple steps ahead. But then she had to go to the doctor's office and convince him to meet her in the abandoned part of the hospital. Then she had to go and wait on him in that part of the hospital. And then she had to beat him nearly to death. And after that, when the demon started to interfere, she had to chase him through the hospital while being stalled by the demon at every turn. And then she had to inject herself and die. All of this had to be done in about 10 minutes. That seems like a lot. But sure, let's say she can do all of that. The biggest thing that bugged me was the final countdown. Quinn faced her sister as she revealed that she was going to kill herself. At this time, we got to see a close-up of the clock on her sister's phone. Time was important, so I started counting in my head along with the phone. The final 45 seconds of the countdown probably took more than a minute and a half to count all the way down. Now this specific instance isn't the biggest deal ever. Plenty of movies do this kind of thing, but I think it clearly illustrates a major point for me. The point is, time never felt like it was a factor in the movie. By not really caring about how they edited with regard to actual time, 
I never felt the tension I should have been feeling. When 10 minutes feels like 30, and when an actual countdown goes on twice as long as it should, it was clear that the entire basis of the movie fell flat. A movie about time should make time the driving force. With everything being so convenient, it never felt like Quinn was racing a clock. I just expected Quinn to find a way to get everything done that she needed to do. She did get everything done, and by that point, I was done as well. The final scene felt like it was tacked on just to tie up the biggest loose end, Quinn's attempted murder. It turns out that the doctor was arrested for sexual misconduct, so Quinn was apparently in the clear. But wait. She looks at her phone in the final scene and discovers that Countdown 2.0 has been downloaded. The end. It was an eye-rolling twist ending that made the entire movie feel kind of pointless. So yeah, final recommendation, don't see Countdown unless you're just super curious and have nothing better to watch. I don't hate it, it was just pretty bland. It was kind of like when you have a cold and can't taste food. You know you experienced something, but it was neither good nor bad. It was just there. Countdown was just there. But I hope to be here on a regular basis with more episodes talking about more movies. I have a lot of plans for The Last Theater, and I hope to roll them all out as I continue to watch new movies, classics, and everything in between. And of course, you'll be able to find all of those episodes on cnjradio.com, the home of The Last Theater and the home of the family of CNJ Radio podcasts. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter at The Last Theater. I don't have an app right now, but if you want to look up cnjradio.com on your phone and pretend it's an app, go right ahead. I guarantee a better time there than you'd have watching Countdown. But until next time, bye.